The White House now denying the quid pro quo that yesterday it had brazenly admitted. The lead starts right now. President Trump said to be today quite unhappy after that attempt by the White House to clean up the Ukraine controversy blew up in the president's face and turned into a stunning confession of sorts on live TV. Also, Trump today saying that the ceasefire in Syria is working, though try and tell that to the people dodging artillery shells. Now even some Republicans are saying the president got played by Turkey. We're going to go live to the region and, quote, if the nesting doll fits, Hillary Clinton claiming that one of the Democratic presidential candidates is being groomed by Russia to play the spoiler in 2020. And she says it's happened before, but does she have any evidence for this charge? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start with our politics lead, the White House today working overtime to clean up a mess of its own making after that top Trump aide admitted to the very act at the center of the impeachment inquiry. Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney now denying that he said President Trump engaged in a quid pro quo with Ukraine, withholding security aid to pressure that country to conduct an investigation that would help President Trump politically, denying it. But that's very clearly what Mick Mulvaney said yesterday. Take a listen. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server uh, happened as well. We, we do we do that all the time with foreign policy. And I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. That admission or confession, if you will, shocked the nation's capital, including individuals in the White House. And Mulvaney was quickly ordered to clean it up. He issued a statement claiming that he had not said what he very clearly said. Republican Congressman Francis Rooney of Florida, a former diplomat, said in response to the attempted walk back, quote, it's not an etch-a-sketch. How in life can you do those kinds of things when you've just said it right there on national TV, unquote? Rooney also saying that the admission shocked him and he wants more information. President Trump and his aides are today trying to pretend that they are not worried about any of this, as CNN's Boris Sanchez reports now from the White House. President Trump dodging questions today about Mick Mulvaney's damning press briefing in which the acting chief of staff admitted Trump held back aid to Ukraine in exchange for political favors. Asked about Mulvaney, Trump pivoting sharply. Mr. President, do you want to clarify what Mick Mulvaney said yesterday? Was the aid I think he I think he clarified it. And I do have to say this. We yesterday had a tremendous day in Texas. Delving into an extended rant and refusing to take any more questions about Mulvaney's controversial confession. To be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server uh, happened as well. We, we, do, we do that all the time with foreign policy. Mulvaney has since walked that back, but that's not stopping the concern on Capitol Hill from both sides of the aisle. Was he talking about just general corruption or was he talking specifically about the Biden issue? Um, the Biden issue would be what's very concerning because it would be using, if it's true, using taxpayer-funded aid and policy uh, for a political reason, which is totally wrong. This is an administration that, you know, obviously is off the rails. And Mick had a moment of truth and then realized that that was not going to be good for the 
president and had to walk it back. Behind the scenes at the White House, a source close to Trump says the president is unhappy with Mulvaney, who baffled the president's legal team by contradicting repeated denials of a quid pro quo with Ukraine. There's no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. I didn't do it. There was no quid pro quo. That's possibly why last night Mulvaney blamed the media, claiming they misconstrued his remarks. The White House also trying to spin the contradiction. He did a great job. He mentioned the same message over and over and over. And now the media, of course, is, you know, we we put a statement out clarifying some of the things that the media got themselves in a tizzy over. As the White House disputes what we all saw Mulvaney say that we should all get over it, The Trump campaign is looking to profit. They're now using Get Over It as a slogan, Jake, that they put on a T-shirt and are selling online. Jake. All right. So first they denied the quid pro quo, then they admitted it, then they denied it, and now they're selling T-shirts. Right. A moment that the president's personal attorneys have deemed baffled them, Jake. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Boris Sanchez at the White House. Let's chew over all this. Caitlin Collins, let me start with you. President Trump and his allies are dismissing this, acting as though it's no big deal. Um, But take a listen to Republican Congressman Francis Rooney of Florida on CNN earlier today. You're saying at this point you are not ruling out the possibility that this is an impeachable offense for the president. I don't think you could rule anything out till you know all the facts. It doesn't seem insignificant that a Republican congressman would say that. No, and this is what McMillvaney did, is essentially putting Republicans in a bind here, because they had been essentially saying that the president had denied this, this wasn't the agreement, and McMillvaney came out and essentially undid all of that. People were stunned after that briefing yesterday. People inside the White House were texting me. A lot of the president's allies were incredibly critical of McMillvaney, including Sean Hannity, who described, I believe, what he did as dumb. And essentially, they just don't understand what the what the strategy was in McMillvaney coming out and making those remarks. And now the White House is saying that Mulvaney has clarified what he said. He has not clarified it. He's denying saying what he said on camera. And we also know uh, that uh, President Trump, according to that rough transcript, definitely pushes the Ukrainian president to investigate both this crazy DNC server 2016 conspiracy theory and also the Bidens. That's in the rough transcript. And then uh, Gordon Sondland, who's one of these witnesses, uh, the ambassador to the European Union, testified that the president told him to talk to Rudy Giuliani about Ukraine. And Giuliani said that the president wanted corruption investigated, specifically the DNC server 2016 crazy conspiracy theory and Burisma, which is the firm that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, worked at. So we very clearly see the quid pro quo. Yeah, and, and of course, in the phone call, you have this, you know, I, I need you to do me a favor, though, when he says that to the uh, Ukrainian uh, president after the Ukrainian president brings up the idea of uh, needing uh, military equipment. So it wasn't, you know, it was startling to hear Mick Mulvaney say that, but it's in line uh, with this set of facts that have been coming out over the last uh, three weeks. He was very, uh, I thought, glib and smug and almost mm-hmm. proud of what he was saying and very comfortable and confident up there. It's really hard to imagine that the president uh, didn't know that this was part of what he was going to go out and try to sell. And right. And what he was trying to sell was essentially, well, it's okay to look into this DNC server thing because the Justice Department is also uh, looking into this William Barr going all around uh, the world uh, looking for the roots of the the Russia probe when, in fact, we know what the roots (laughs) of the Russia probe are right here. Uh, And so, you know, it, it doesn't seem 
looking like it's going to sell, but they're certainly going to try to sell it. And Amanda, it did seem that we had just reached. I mean, the, the Trump scandals seemed to go like this. That never happened. OK, yeah. maybe it happened a little bit. OK, it happened, but there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You did it. You know, I mean, and I thought it. I thought that and then get over it. And mm-hmm. I thought we had just reached point three of like, OK, yeah, fine. It happened, but there's nothing wrong with it, which is pretty standard for Trump scandals. But apparently not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say Mick Mulvaney is right. There is not a quid pro quo. There are quid pro quotes <laughs> for the two reasons. Biden dirt and DNC stuff. But uh, Representative Rooney was really the first one I heard asked this publicly. Why is Donald Trump so hung up on finding the server in Ukraine and taking the heat off Russia for interfering in the election and hacking the DNC? That's really, I think, a bigger deal and a more interesting question for Senate Republicans because they have been part of producing intelligence reports, which clearly lay the blame on Russia. So they're at odds there. And I think this is a good uh, question of how taxpayer resources are being used to undermine those reports. Yeah. I don't think these things are independent at all, right? There is certainly the, the attitude and approach to dismissing um, what's going on with the impeachment inquiries is in line with what recently happened in Syria and the negotiations, failed negotiations with Turkey, and broader behavior of accepting and acceding to what Putin wants geopolitically. I think part of that is a distraction campaign uh, and focusing on issues that uh, would potentially, in, his, in Trump's mind, hurt Democrats and undermine the 2020 election. But there is a broader national security impact of this. And we should point out that uh, in addition to uh, everything else we've talked about coming out in the congressional testimony, uh, the Washington Post is reporting that Biden's office, uh, according to somebody testifying, George Kent, I believe, a State Department official, seemed to brush off a warning back in 2015 that Hunter Biden's work in Ukraine could prove to be problematic and at least an appearance of impropriety. Uh, The warning coming from George Kent testifying this week, according to the Post, quote, Kent raised the issue with Biden's office. He was told the then vice president didn't have the bandwidth to deal with the issue involving his son Hunter as the other son Bo was battling uh, cancer. So, I mean, we should point stuff, other stuff is coming out in this testimony as well, not just damaging to the to the Trump White House. Yeah, and it's interesting how they said essentially that th- this person who testified yesterday went to a top-ranking official with this concern about the appearance of a conflict. It doesn't confirm what the president has been pushing, that the elder Biden is the one who acted inappropriately and used his office inappropriately. But it also points something else interesting. Another thing you saw from Mulvaney yesterday was distancing himself from all of these people who have been testifying on the Hill, even though One was a senior advisor to the secretary of state. One was a Trump appointee, Ambassador Sunland. And he was essentially acting like he couldn't remember their names or what they were saying. (laughs) What George Kent is saying is disproving this theory that all of these people are going up there just to go after President Trump, that they're Mm -hmm. anti-Trump. These are career deep state people that are just trying to get the president. When you see people like George Kent, who's actually saying, no, actually, we did have some questions about the appearance of what this was going to look like with Hunter Biden. We also had concerns about what the president and his officials and his personal attorney were doing. But let's yeah. talk yeah, about the just... appearances of all of this, because that same press conference that Mulvaney <laughs> talks about, the quid pro quo, is also announcing that the Doral uh, Resort in Florida, which is failing, is now going to host the G7 leaders and potentially bring multi-millions of dollars into the president's coffers. But it, does, yeah, but it does, I think, show that Joe Biden has got some work to do on this yep. issue still, right? He talked about it a bit in the debate. We, of course, mm-hmm. heard from Hunter Biden well. uh, in in uh, in an interview. And, you know, Joe Biden just kept referring to that interview as if the case was closed. It's not closed. Right. He's got to figure out uh, how to deal with this. And really answer the question of why he himself didn't recuse himself from Ukrainian business if he knew his son had this uh, business deal. But it's a good point. You can't really take issue with the swampiness of Hunter Biden being on that board. 
if you're now saying the G7 is going to be at your private resort and you're going to make money off of that. Frankly, it all stinks. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll move on. Uh, sources say that Secretary of State Pompeo is feeling like the victim in all of this after some career diplomats buried the Trump administration in testimony. What is he feeling victimized about? And just minutes ago, President Trump announced a cabinet original is out. But why is Rick Perry suddenly stepping down, especially after these questions about his role in the Ukraine scandal are popping up? Stay with us. We have some breaking news for you in the politics lead. President Trump has named his replacement for outgoing energy secretary Rick Perry. The president just tweeted that he's nominating the department's current number two, Deputy Secretary Dan Bruyette, to head the Department of Energy. As CNN's Renee Marsh reports, this change comes as Perry is facing scrutiny for dealings with Ukraine in the impeachment inquiry. Staring down a subpoena deadline for documents related to his dealings with Ukraine, Energy Secretary Rick Perry has decided to make an exit. I'm announcing my resignation, effective later this year. Perry's video to Energy Department staff came after he informed the president in writing. Perry has become a central figure in the Ukraine probe. As U.S. Ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sundland explained Perry was critical to the U.S.-Ukraine relationship. We have what are called uh, the three amigos, and the three amigos are Secretary Perry, uh, again, Ambassador Volker and myself. And we've been tasked with sort of overseeing the Ukraine-U.S. relationship. Perry, a former Texas governor who spent nearly three years in the Trump administration without any major scandals, denies the impeachment inquiry has anything to do with his leaving. While Ukraine and its energy independence are in Perry's portfolio, he acknowledged to The Wall Street Journal he also discussed investigating the debunked theory Ukraine played a role in interfering in the 2016 election with the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, but denies discussing Joe Biden or his son Hunter. As God is my witness, not once was a Biden name, not the former vice president, not his son, ever mentioned. In May, Perry led the U.S. delegation to Ukrainian President Zelensky's inauguration at Trump's request. After returning, Perry met with President Trump, special envoy to Ukraine Kurt Volker, and Sunland in the Oval Office. The president told them to deal with Giuliani before making any deals with the Ukrainian president. Perry defends the president's request to circumvent official channels. As the governor of Texas, I use people outside of government all the time to give me information. I respect the State Department, but I happen to know people in the energy industry that are smarter than the State Department folks. Well, Perry has also admitted he urged the president to make that now infamous July 25th call to to Zelensky, which was the basis, as you know, uh, Jake, of that whistleblower complaint. But Perry says he pushed for discussion on energy issues. But we all saw that transcript and there were no substantial mentions of that on the call. Jake. All right, Renee Marsh, thank you so much. Also in our politics lead today, sources telling CNN that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is frustrated and feeling victimized over claims against him that have emerged during this impeachment inquiry. In testimony, former State Department officials have blamed Pompeo for not defending former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. She lost that job reportedly because she was expressing concerns about Rudy Giuliani trying to dig up dirt in Ukraine to help President Trump politically. Sources now tell CNN that Pompeo was warned back in the spring that it was Giuliani who tried to push Yovanovitch out. Let's bring in CNN's Kylie Atwood, who's bringing us this reporting. And Kylie, you've you've learned about a letter sent to Pompeo urging him to protect Ambassador Yovanovitch. 
Yeah, so this was a letter that was sent to the State Department in the spring. This was months ago. These were former U.S. ambassadors to Ukraine who had been in the same shoes that Ambassador Yovanovitch was in. And they were writing to Pompeo, encouraging the State Department to defend against the smear campaign that was being carried out against her. Now, they did get a response from the State Department, from the counselor at the State Department, who is one of Pompeo's closest aides, acknowledging receipt and saying that it would be considered. Now, of course, this demonstrates that it wasn't just in the last few weeks or the last few months that it was Michael McKinley, who is that senior advisor to Pompeo, who resigned because there was not more done to defend against Yovanovitch. This happened months ago. So Pompeo knew that people wanted him to defend Ambassador Yovanovitch for a long time now. And he has been asked in an interview just last Friday, he was asked, did you do enough to defend Ambassador Yovanovitch? And he pivoted. He didn't really answer the question. He talked about the team at the State Department delivering on the mission of the State Department, but never once mentioning Ambassador Yovanovitch by name. So if he feels so beleaguered, why did Pompeo stay quiet on Yovanovitch when there was this clear campaign from Giuliani and others to, to get rid of her? Yeah, and this clear campaign from people encouraging him to say something. Well, let's take a step back, of course, and look at what President Trump thinks of Ambassador Yovanovitch. In that phone call with President Zelensky and President Trump, Trump said that Yovanovitch was uh, very bad, said that she was going to go through some things. It is clear, talking to sources who know Trump's thinking, that he bought into the idea that Yovanovitch was against him. So therefore, if President Trump thinks that, uh, Pompeo is someone who stays in line with the president. And so he was not willing to go out on a limb thus far and, of course, risk his relationship, risk his job in order to defend an ambassador uh, to Ukraine. Jake. All right, Kylie Atwood, thank you so much for that reporting. Coming up, President Trump praising a ceasefire deal that's a little low on the cease and a little heavy on the fire so far. Stay with us. There's a ceasefire or a pause or whatever you want to call it. Uh, there was some sniper fire this morning. There was mortar fire this morning that was eliminated quickly. And uh, they're back to the full pause. President Trump expressing optimism about the quite fragile ceasefire that the Syrian Kurds have already accused Turkey of violating just hours after the agreement was inked. Turkey's government denies shelling Kurdish positions, but is vowing to continue the offensive if the Syrian Kurds refuse to leave a proposed safe zone along the border of the two countries. What constitutes the safe zone is, of course, quite in dispute. The kinetic action comes as a number of lawmakers, including Republicans, are criticizing President Trump, saying that Turkey's President Erdogan outmaneuvered the United States. As CNN's Nick Payton Walsh reports for us now, the bloodshed on the ground continues. A word of warning to our viewers, some of the images in the report you're about to see are graphic. This is what President Trump's amazing outcome looked like on the ground in Ras Alain in northern Syria Friday. Bodies of civilians, whose Syrian Kurdish doctors here said were killed by an airstrike near that border town. These images we had backed up those claims, although we can't conclusively verify them, and Turkey called it disinformation. He was hit by a plane, she says. There's a lot of civilians hit by planes, many dead since the morning. I don't know why they were meant to stop. Around the town, the confusion over what the deal between the United States and Turkey actually meant led Kurdish civilians and foreign volunteers flocking to the town, hoping to bring relief. Hundreds are going to be going, and the plan is drive as far as we can. When we start getting shot at, we're going to start walking. 
they began walking and seem to have turned back later. And there's one avoidable reason the deal announced Thursday wasn't going to last. The fanfare of the announcement didn't spell out exactly where the ceasefire applies. Turkish officials said the deal means the Kurds must leave a long swathe of the border, but American officials seem to indicate only an area 20 miles deep where the Turkish already had control. However, pro-Turkish forces already deeper into Syria and it's unclear if the ceasefire applies here. Importantly, it's also unclear what will happen in two major Kurdish towns, Kobani, near which Russian flags fly, which Pence said would not be attacked under the deal, and Kamishli, where celebratory gunfire greeted the deal Thursday night, hardly the sound of withdrawal. President Erdogan's officials seem delighted with the deal. If the US can keep their promises by Tuesday night when this 120 hours of ceasefire is over, but if these promises will not be realised, our operation of peace spring will continue more rapidly than before. 120 hours were how long from the announcement until Erdogan meets Russian President Vladimir Putin in Sochi. The Turkish president letting slip he wouldn't object to Moscow's ally, the Syrian regime, who moved into sensitive areas like Kobani this week, controlling areas where the Syrian Kurds were. So, with the US leaving, the roadmap for that meeting is clear, as are the new power brokers in Syria for all to see. Jake, the real deal was done before that announcement in Ankara, and that was really when the Syrian Kurds agreed to allow the Syrian regime and their Russian backers into territory they'd once controlled. That effectively blocked so much more of pro-Turkish forces' advance. That will be concretized in probably about 90 hours from now uh, in that meeting in Sochi between President Erdogan and President Putin, where we will perhaps see the new lines of exactly what this week of utter chaos really means. Sadly, though, I think for most in the region, it suggests that US under this current administration uh, is flippant about its decisions here and an ally who can be fleeting at best. Jake? All right, Nick Payton Walsh in the region. Please stay safe. Thank you for that report. Let's chew over this. Uh, Caitlin, you traveled with Vice President Pence to Turkey. Um, what are your sources telling you about whether or not this is actually a good deal? A lot of people saying it looks like Turkey just got everything they wanted. So two things. We're a lot of surprised that they actually agreed to a ceasefire because when Pence and Pompeo were on the way there, it was essentially this pretty grim view inside the White House that they were even going to accomplish anything. People were wondering why they were being sent because they thought it was going to end in kind of an embarrassment potentially. So they do feel accomplished in the fact that they got this ceasefire, however brief it is. Five days is what the vice president announced yesterday. There's also a lot of skepticism and questions about what exactly was accomplished in the bigger picture of things, because yes, there is this temporary ceasefire, but just how much power and how much leverage did the Turks have in this? And essentially, if you looked at that joint statement we got from the vice president's office yesterday, a lot of it is what Turkey had already wanted beforehand, and they didn't have to make a lot of concessions here. And so there are now questions about what's going to happen to the Kurds who were left there, who are now there telling them they have to have to get out or not do so voluntarily. Amanda, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader Republican from Kentucky, has just released an op-ed in the Washington Post. It's titled, Withdrawing from Syria is a Grave Mistake. He writes, quote, the United States has sacrificed much in years-long campaigns to defeat al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and stabilize the conflicts that foster extremism. But while the political will to continue this hard work may wax and wane, the threats to our nation aren't going anywhere. Uh, this is one of the few issues where Republicans have been willing to criticize the president's decision, even if they refuse to even mention President Trump's name. It's as if it's an immaculate conception <laughs> of a bad foreign policy idea. Yeah, it is a grave mistake. And I, I 
it's a good step that Mitch McConnell is saying this. But this was entirely predictable. Why is he saying it today? What, a week after this was announced, thousands of people are on the run, hundreds, countless killed? So, yes, it's nice that he is admitting now it's a grave mistake. But we need to go a little bit further and look at Donald Trump as a foreign policy president. We're talking about Ukraine. We're talking about Turkey. We're talking about Syria. What is going right here? Donald Trump didn't consult with anybody on this decision. He didn't notify Congress. Congress had no role in this. So how did he make this decision? That's what's missing from this conversation. How and why did we get here? I don't know know if anybody in the Senate is going to find out, but they can tell us how they will stop it from happening again. Mitt Romney called for a hearing as to find out as to why. That's a big mystery. Here's President Trump last night describing the battle between the Kurds and and the pro-Turkish forces. Take a listen. Sometimes you have to let them fight. It's like two kids in a lot. You got to let them fight and then you pull them apart. Brett McGurk, the former special envoy to defeat ISIS under President Trump, responded tweeting, this is an obscene and ignorant statement. And he goes on to criticize. What do you make of it? I think this is part of the pandering that comes in campaigns about foreign policy. Uh, It's it's all about America first and what makes you feel good. And these these simple analogies that he thinks his base will understand when the reality is Thousands of people have died. Um, the United States is now deeply insecure in the region with Russia ascending. Uh, Erdogan is now going to be heading to Russia to meet with Putin directly. They're the ones now deciding what happens in the region. ISIS has actually now been let loose. There has to be a conversation across all candidates about how these forever wars are actually going to benefit the United States because absent a military presence, we have no counterterrorism strategy. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about because Hillary Clinton is making a serious claim that a 20 Democrat is a Russian asset. That candidate just responded in a way that might make your jaw drop. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, Hillary Clinton is suggesting that Russians are grooming a 2020 Democratic presidential hopeful to run as a third party candidate and spoil the race for the Democrats. Take a listen to her remarks in a new podcast from David Plouff. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic (laughs) primary and are grooming her to be the third-party candidate. She's a favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her Mm -hmm. so far. Now, when asked if Clinton was referring to Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat of Hawaii, Clinton's spokesman said, quote, if the nesting doll fits, he added, quote, if the Russian propaganda machine, both their state media and their bot and troll operations, is backing a candidate aligned with their interests, that is just a reality. It is not speculation. Uh, Nia, I mean, just because they have, she has views that might align with Russia on some matters, including Syria, for example, is that really responsible for Hillary Clinton to say she's a Russian asset, like something out of the movie Red Sparrow? Right. And something off of sort of social media in the Twitterverse, too, uh, as well, because this is what you hear. You know, if you're on Twitter, this is a lot of the conversation around Tulsi Gabbard from uh, many Democrats who do see that she or or feel like she is something of a spoiler in this race, that her her views uh, align with Russia in many ways. But it is. It's it's surprising coming from Hillary Clinton in many ways. But again, I mean, she went through this in 2016. I think part of her strategy here is to say there are only the things that could be going on in this election uh, that we didn't pay attention to in 2016. And she's sort of raising uh, sort of the warning signs going forward for what might happen in 2020. I mean, that is sort of a charitable view of what she could be doing. So Gabbard just tweeted a a response. Uh, Let me read it. She said, quote, great. Thank you, Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption and personification of the rot 
that has sickened to the Democratic Party for so long have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know it was always you, through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine, afraid of the threat I pose. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. Now, there is, there is a, a bigger foreign policy debate to be had, and, and Tulsi Gabbard very aggressively talks about ending the forever war. She's a veteran. She has standing to say that. Now she's saying, Hillary Clinton, you're behind the smear campaign against me. Join the race. It's you against me. Yeah, so they're not friends right now. Um, <laughs> it, listen, Gabbard's statement is a little overwrought, but she has every right to defend herself. A former Secretary of State is just declaring her to be a Russian asset. That is deeply unfair. And if you have a problem with the way that Donald Trump smears people... Well, you need to take a look at Hillary Clinton, because what she just did to Tulsi is no better than what Donald Trump does to people all the time. And uh, Hillary Clinton goes on, uh, Nayara, to suggest that Putin has compromising dirt on President Trump. Um, And so what do you make of that? Well, we do know that Russians writ large do look for opportunities to peel off third party candidates. So as the Jill Stein challenges uh, and that individual states can turn on one or two percentage points. So I think there's a broader question of how Russia is going to look to take advantage of 2020 and instill its own version of chaos, uh, you know, 2.0. Mueller, I don't think, was able to find any evidence of this rumor that the Russians have anything. But I'll tell you, all this discord, um, I'm not blaming this on anybody in this country, but Putin, I'm sure, loves us. Of course they do. This is something, this is exactly what they did lay out in the Mueller report, just how much they like to sow disinformation. That's why when Hillary Clinton makes a claim like this, there are valid critiques of Tulsi Gabbard, but to say something like this, it just makes you wonder. Well, just bring the evidence if you have it, and if not, don't say it. And don't say it on background. She didn't say it. She couldn't even confirm it in her own words that it was Tulsi she was referencing, and aide confirmed it on in a background statement. She's going to own it now. Yeah. A group of woman journalists demanding an investigation of NBC after those disturbing allegations against Matt Lauer and the executives there. The author who sparked this reexamination of those charges joins me next. Stay with us. In our national lead now, TV news anchors and producers, including Megyn Kelly, Gretchen Carlson and Greta Van Susteren, are today demanding that Comcast, NBC's, Comcast, NBC's parent company, hire independent investigators to look into the alleged sexual misconduct and cover-up of it at NBC News. This after the news network announced it would not be investigating the bombshell allegations made in the new book by Ronan Farrow, Catch and Kill. Joining me now is Ronan Farrow. Uh, and the, the, first of all, the book is great. Thank you, Jay. Really well written. I read the, every word. Um, you are in the book in a fairly a small but important moment. I'm just, uh, yes, I'm casting doubt on NBC News's uh, suggestion. Well, you've, you've been tough and principled about this, as we've been fortunate to see a lot of journalists have been, and that weighed on some of the decisions I made in the book. Well, that's nice to hear. Let me, so the book details the years of cover-up of sexual misconduct by Harvey Weinstein and then takes a turn towards the end about sexual misconduct and cover-up uh, by Matt Lauer at NBC News. NBC is, has not done an independent... Uh, investigation. They've self-investigated. They've resisted many calls, including inside their own building. For is, is that unusual? I mean, I don't know what the protocol is. Do, do, does, does CBS News, for example, when they had their stuff with Charlie Rose, etc., did, did they have an outside investigation? So when I broke the story about CBS News and Les Moonves, yeah. there was turmoil there. You saw a very similar pattern of kind of a smear campaign against the reporting, people digging in, a board that was protecting embattled leadership there. Um, and a refusal to do outside investigation. And that did gradually uh, recede. 
and there was outside investigation and leadership change. This is about patterns that extend far beyond NBC, and often the response is typical amongst these different organizations with a pattern of corporate behavior designed to sweep allegations like this under the rug. Yeah, and pay people off to go away and keep their mouth shut. Yeah. There's a scene in your book, kind of early on, you've, you've launched your investigation into Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Harvey Weinstein calls NBC News chairman Andy Lack, and then you have this conversation, quote, it was the 90s, Andy, Weinstein repeated. This seemed for Weinstein an important point of exculpation. And then with a note of menace, we all did that. There was a pause before Andy Lack said, Harvey, say no more. We'll look into it. You seem to be suggesting very strongly there that Weinstein's saying, hey, I got dirt on you too, Andy Lack. Well, there is a clear uh, a conclusion based, based on an extensive paper trail documented in this book that this was an embattled news organization with a lot of secrets that were under threat of exposure in a period where this organization previously told its journalists they had no secret sexual harassment settlements. I document seven in this book, and this is multiple source with documents. Um, This is a, a serious set of tools on the legal side of this company designed to muzzle women with complaints. Now, their rebuttals are all in this. It's very carefully fact checked. Uh, and they say it's all coincidental. They were paying out these large sums to women, uh, not knowing that they were voicing at high levels of the company complaints about Matt Lauer and others. But uh, the individuals directly involved in those transactions suggest otherwise. And moreover, you know, when he says that, it, it is being heard by Andy Lack, who is accused in this book of misconduct by several women who say that he slept with underlings and retaliated against them. And, um, you know, his denials are in there, too. But I think this, the facts stand on their own. And this is not just about Matt Lauer, NBC News, Harvey Weinstein. This is about a culture of cover-up. And one of the ways that they were able to get away with it, um, Harvey Weinstein in particular, uh, is that he had, according to your reporting, and he had what Trump had, which is a friend in the tabloid, a newspaper tabloid empire, AMI. Um, That's how Donald Trump was able to get away with stuff. You broke a lot of that reporting as well. and it's, it's astounding. As I am attempting desperately to get this story on air at NBC, and my producer is attempting desperately to get it on air, and we're being ordered to stop, to not take a single call, to stand down on this reporting, and NBC has now conceded that they had at least 15 secret calls with Harvey Weinstein, uh, and I document in this book how promises to kill the story were made in those calls. Uh, as all of that is happening... Harvey Weinstein is huddled with the National Enquirer and its editor, Dylan Howard, who has threatened lawsuits all over the world to prevent the publication of this book. Because There's also new information about Dylan Howard and his relationship with Trump in it. But he's collaborating with Harvey Weinstein. And I broke the story of how he was secretly recording people for Harvey Weinstein trying to get dirt. And in that period, the, the Enquirer begins to run more and more stories about Matt Lauer. They begin to call NBC employees with questions about Matt Lauer. They obtain the resume of the woman who uh, in, in this story at, at a certain point does get Matt Lauer fired after she brings an allegation forward. Um, the allegation that, she, that he raped her. Indeed. Very yeah. serious. And, and again, this takes place years after the first settlements with women who had, NBC says coincidentally, complaints about Matt Lauer. What is in it for these tabloids to cooperate with these powerful men? I mean, if they had, you know, if, if, if they had had the Karen McDougal story or the Stormy Daniels mm-hmm. story, um, I guess they weren't involved in Stormy Daniels, but the Karen McDougal story, that would have had a huge impact on the election. If they'd had the Harvey Weinstein story, that would have been a huge story. What, what's in it for them? Well, in small point, I actually document in this book that AMI did play a small role in the Stormy Daniels okay. situation uh, where it was brought to AMI first by her attorney. And AMI connected 
uh, the parties that ultimately were involved in that transaction, Michael Cohen and, and Stormy Daniels. Uh, look, this is, as you say, bigger than one organization, bigger than one set of individuals. This is about patterns of mutual protection in circles of power and the way in which powerful people are able to subvert the press, whether it's NBC or AMI, to bury stories for them. That's why the title is Catch and Kill. It is a term in the tabloid industry for acquiring stories to get rid of them. It's a great book. Uh, it's uh, on sale now. Uh, Little Brown, you, you and I have the same uh, publisher, uh, Reagan Arthur, and she's fantastic. She is, and they've stood by this story. It has been uh, subject to a lot of threats and attempts to ban it, and people in our business have really rallied around it, and so has the Congratulations. Thank it's you, it's, a, it's an amazing bit of reporting, and a book of reporting, and, uh, and uh, it, it's good that it's out there. Thank Appreciate you for what you do. It. Thank you for your coverage. The Out of This World lead, it's one small step for a woman, one giant leap for womankind. That's next. In our out-of-this-world lead today, a historic day in space. Two NASA astronauts conducting the very first all-female spacewalk, venturing out of the International Space Station. NASA says 221 people have carried out spacewalks at the ISS, only 15 of them women. The president congratulated the astronauts during their walk, the women telling him they're just doing their job. Be sure to tune in this Sunday morning to State of the Union. My guests include Democratic presidential candidates Senator Amy Klobuchar and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. That's at 9 a.m. and 12 noon Eastern on Sunday, only on CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. See you Sunday morning. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.